money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. With over 17 years experience in finance, Camilla Love is the founder and managing director of eInvest, an active ETF funds management firm. Camilla has always been a strong advocate for women, founding the F3 program to educate and foster young women's interest in the finance world. With a Master of Applied Finance in Investments, an MBA and many other qualifications, don't be surprised to see Camilla at the helm of an ASX 200 company any day now. I'd been at Perennial for, you know, 16 years and I'd seen one girl come through for work experience in there. And I really wanted to change that. The industry, you know, was asking more questions about, you know, where are the females in your investment team? And rightly so. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Camilla, welcome to Tilling Money. Thank you. Welcome. So let's kick off from the word go and eventually we're going to get into this more complicated world of money and ETFs and we'll dabble in that. But we do want to know a lot more about you and your interest in money and your background, Camilla. So tell us in a nutshell, um, where did you learn about money growing up? Well, I guess it first started when my parents um, put a bank account, set up a bank account for me and I reckon I was about eight at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And um, I sort of fostered from there. So as a teenager, I um, coached and umpired netball for a bit of cash on the weekend while I was playing down at the courts on a Saturday afternoon. So I got some income from there. And then um, I, you know, went on and, you know, worked at Big W and Portman's at university. But I think really, other than the bank account, it was actually watching my parents have their own businesses okay. and actually then going in and you know, stuffing envelopes because my mum was running a publication at the time and sending them off to subscribers. Or, you know, my dad ran a fibreglass company out at at Guildford and I would go to the factory floor in the school Mm. holidays and for an extra little bit of cash, you know, be doing odd jobs and here and there. So, um, you know, it started from there. And then I guess also as a a kid, I always remember um, my parents um, being involved in the St. Luke's Hospital Foundation. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there 
And, um, you know, as a like little tacker running around selling raffle tickets to um, people to raise money. Mm-hmm. And I guess there it actually taught me a little bit about what money can do when you give it to other people um, to foster a better relationship um, with the community. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's sort of two aspects of how, you know, I started um, in, the, in the money sphere and what it means to me from the beginning. Was there any significance in the age of eight? Were you getting you know, money for gifts or whatever. So when when you opened a bank account at eight years of age, was it something that prompted that? Yeah, my grandparents always give me gifts for the, for the, um, you know, my birthday and the, and Christmas and things like that. But, um, you know, I was never, you know, at that age, you're never mm. really good with money. And, you know, the local milk bar was always a difficult <laughs> spot for me. Because, Temptation. You know, mm. those mixed lolly bags, I would definitely <laughs> stop on the way there, yeah. on the way from home from school. So it is, it is a learned skill to have over time. Mm. Fantastic. So you've had this ingrained you know awareness of money um and then you went into the world of finance you chose that straight up as your career or what's I did, the case I did and it, it sort of came about because um essentially from my godfather mm-hmm. right and we deemed him the international man of mystery and the reason for that was because you know as a kid growing up he spent most of his time living in um, New York and, and Tokyo in the 80s and 90s, and which would have been a fabulous place mm-hmm. to have been working at the time. And as a kid, you know, he would come home for the Christmas holidays to much fanfare to amongst the, my parents and their friends. And, you know, he'd be talking about the deals, you know, he had done and the places he had travelled to and, and things like that. And I was just like in awe and I was like, Whatever he does, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until later I actually worked out he worked at Citigroup and was in finance and, and that's really the end of the story. Oh, so. wow. So he gave you your godfather, gave you your big break. Well, from an idea generation yep. point of view. But, you know, the, my big break could come from any spot, right? So um, maybe, you know, thinking about that, um, maybe it was the fact that I actually said no to my first graduate recruitment role, which people thought I was absolutely bonkers to do. So what was that? Well, I actually was offered a a business banking role in one of the major banks. Mm -hmm. And that was a big thing to be offered, you know, as a graduate. And, but I really wanted to be in funds management and I really wanted to be in marketing. Mm. And I actually said no to that. And as I said, you know, people thought I was crazy um, to turn it down because I, and it was all about being patient and waiting for the right right role. And, it, I mean, it could have been um, when I got a scholarship to do my MBA at AGSM, um, you know. That's, it, that's no mean feat. Congratulations on definitely. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, someone obviously there saw some great things in me and it transformed the way that I saw, you know, the business world and the way that I thought. Um, but, you know, even looking at, at, you know, the place that, you know, Perennial and, and E-Invest, you know, it is a great boss. You know, I've been working with, you know, Anthony Patterson for nearly, you know, 20 years mm. and, you know, backing me and understanding my skill set and, and, you know, allowing me to start E-Invest. But, you know, maybe cross fingers my big break hasn't even come yet. <laughs> and, sure. you know, maybe it's a bit of luck, maybe it's a bit of tenacity, maybe it's a bit of grit. But, mm. um, you know, 
who knows what's his face. Well, it sounds like that's exactly right, and we'll be following it too. Because it, sound, <laughs> it sounds like the future yeah, sure. is, and you might be then one day dubbed as an in, um, international woman of mystery. Maybe. But you don't look. All, I mean, you look very accomplished, but you don't look all that mysterious, Camilla. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, very accomplished though. You're at eInvest now. Tell us about the role at eInvest. So I'm the managing director of eInvest, and eInvest is, as you mentioned in the in the introduction, an ETF, um, an active ETF startup. So we're the newest brand in the ETF space, and we only focus on um, ETFs where we believe active management makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to have to interrupt you there because at the very beginning I did say we're going to explain, you know, things, and to a lot of people, I mean. Camilla, from eight, you've been money conscious, you know, and you've been obviously very successful in your career. But the world of money is a bit like your godfather, mysterious. It's very much so. <laughs> and uh, tell us a little bit before we jump into your role at eInvest, tell us a little bit in simple terms what an ETF is. So ETF stands for Exchange Traded Funds, mm -hmm. and that's what it is in a nutshell. So a portfolio of um, stocks that you can buy on the stock exchange through just one trade. Uh -huh. um, and you can do that through um, an actively managed fund where you, you tap into the expertise of investment professionals mm -hmm. or ETFs also come and the majority of ETFs are in a passively managed fund where they are managed against an index or a benchmark, say, for example, the ASX 200. So, Camilla, why might somebody want to invest in an ETF over, say, just going and choosing a Telstra or a Commonwealth Bank or a couple of other stocks? A lot of it has to do with time uh -huh. and, and, and resources of themselves and knowledge base. So um, tapping into an ETF is, is easier. You can tap into the expertise, as I said, of investment professionals or, you know, tracking an index. But you can also, it's transparent. Mm -hmm. You can trade it with one, you know, you just go onto your online broker, like the likes of Comsec or Bell Direct, for example, um, or contact your financial planner. But you can, um, you can really, it, they're really accessible. Um, and through one trade, you can access a lot more diversification um, and also areas, say, for example, a lot of people we know have a, a home country bias when they invest. So a lot of Australians are heavily invested in, in the Australian Stock Exchange. So it can give you um, access to offshore markets, global markets, um, you know, commodities such as gold and things like that. So it can broaden your um, experience with investing in a, in a reasonably simple way. And especially with offshore where it's far more difficult to go into detail or analyse shares, does that minimise the risk? Because you're looking at someone who would know far more than you as the manager of the ETF, far more than you could possibly know as a individual trader? Yeah, particularly those where um, you are tapping in the expertise of financial professionals. I mean, they live this stuff day mm. in and day out. And, you know, you don't, like mm. I don't. Mm. So it's really hard to, you know, understand the risks that are coming in to your individual stock choice mm. and the impacts of other things such as interest rates and, you know, sector and policy, government policies and things like that. Um, so, yeah, ETFs are a really good way to, to start your investing journey. And a lot of people use them too. So, lots. yeah, lots mm. of people with numbers increasing. Okay, so back to your role at um, eInvest. Tell us more about that. So as I mentioned, I'm the managing director. So what we do at eInvest, we've discussed, we're an active ETF provider. And at 
in my role, I manage a whole bunch of really fabulous and really intelligent people. Um, I split my time 50% sales and 50% everything else. And that everything else comprises of things like compliance and, and risk and, and legal and, ex, you know, dealing with the exchanges, for example, you know, product development and pipeline management. But, but really, you know, what gets me out of bed every morning is talking to people and meeting new people and talking about finance. And, and the ability for me to, to marry those two loves together is, is fabulous. And, you know, I really enjoy, enjoy what I do. Fantastic. And you've taken that across into your personal life as well. Um, we mentioned earlier you developed a program called F3. So you, you really had an interest in um, fostering women and encouraging them into careers in finance. How did that kind of come about? Well, it came about um, in short because I cracked it. Um, there was a, a number of things that happened over a period of six months and I just like was shaking my head going, what is going on here? Why can't we make a meaningful change? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's some really important things and there's lots of talented females out there who just want a little bit of work experience in the financial services industry. And, you know, there's in the industry, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of lip service. No one's, everyone's talking the talk, but no one's actually walking the walk. And so I really wanted to specialize really in the pipeline management and the pipeline sort of um, integration into the financial services industry. So I wanted something that was entirely scalable, um, was accessible because it's all online um, and to really just nudge girls to break down those stereotypes of what you know, the outsiders think finance really is, and to bring that fabulous talent into the industry at, you know, frontline analytical roles. And, and that's what it's all about. So even from a work experience point of view, like females were finding it hard to, to kind of crack through that glass ceiling, were they? Or was it more of a confidence issue? Well, it's a bit of both. But, yeah. you know, when you come into work experience in financial services, generally it's, you know, my next door neighbor's best friend's dog's dad, you know, blah, 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 right? Who can you take that, my son, for work experience? Um, and, I, you know, I think at the time I started F3, I'd been at Perennial for, you know, 16 years and I'd seen one girl come through for work experience in there. Um, and I really wanted to change that. The industry, you know, was asking more questions about, you know, where are the females in your investment team? And rightly so. Um, and I really wanted to make a change. So that's what it was all about. But, you know, girls have an issue about confidence. Um, and I think that that's where sort of the F3, um, I sort of turned work experience on its head. And it needed to have a different way of going about things. Why, um, why F3, Camilla? It stands for Future Females in Finance. Okay. So okay. So three Fs. Three Fs. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so the, turning that, that work experience platform upside down and going, okay, obviously it's not working. And the reason why it's not working is because it's one individual going into a group generally that will have a diversity issue amongst it how do you make that female 
feel comfortable in it. And so we moved to online, we moved to um, we moved to group work experience. And I think for the group work experience, I mean, the way that I sort of liken it is, um, you know, where do you find the girls at the gym? They're in the group classes and not on the weights floor. Mm. But the more likely they go to the group classes, the more likely they turn up onto the weights floor over yeah. time. It's a bit of that. So that's how I sort of think the, about it. Yeah, dynamic kind of changes. So was that kind of one of the greatest learnings is just kind of adapting the, the working dynamics to fit the females or what what were some of the takings from the program? It's probably not about fitting the females. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's just giving a having a different way of doing it. Um, instinctively we are different and we learn and absorb things differently and we um, you know just having a different format I think is is important. But I guess I tell you what my there's a couple of really um, interesting learnings. But my biggest learning, I think, is, um, you know, the amount of talent that's out there. Like, Mm. oh, my gosh. Like, the next generation is so smart and so, you know, they're coming to get us, which I think is great. (laughs) And I think that the financial services industry is going to be so much better to have them in there inside it. Um, And it's just nudging nudging the talent in Mm. by showing them, you know, the, the misconceptions that they have might not necessarily be there mm. and giving them, um, you know, just giving them a bit of work experience. Yeah. Well, can you myth bust a little bit for us? What, what are those totally misconceptions? Totally happy to myth bust. Yeah. Well, the biggest one is, you know, financial services is like the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, that's flatly wrong. Um, and, you know, I encourage everyone to come in to even just have a look and to trial it out because I think that that the cultural piece you know really does fit females and you know having that misconception can really sort of tap you out early so um, I think that that's a a really big one Um, I think that the you know there's a there's a couple others such as you know um, that financial services is investment banking and accounting Mm. well it is an enormous industry for the the Australian economy. It's, I think it's the top four. And, you know, there's so much other stuff in between. There's, you know, there's financial planning and there's securitization and there's debt and there's venture capital and there's, there's so much stuff in between. Um, sort of people need to think about big businesses and small businesses when thinking about, you know, coming into financial services. Um so yes, it's there's lots of different myth busts. Um, my final myth bust is actually that you have to be a whiz at maths to mm. be in financial services. Financial services is a broad church. The creative types, people with street smarts, people with you know with people personalities, and the people with maths can all find careers in financial services. Mm. And I and I think that you know. I think that that's great, and F three does a bit of that. So, as part of our work experience programs, there is a um, there is always a componentry of modelling inside all the projects. But the girls realise that that's not the be all and end all. Um, you know, once you know they put their solution together. Mm. So, I mean, that is a big myth to bust. Mm, interesting. The, obviously, the world had a, um, in America in particular, but all in the world, there was a great loss recently with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And there was something that I read, one of her great quotes, that said that equality between men and women will be recognised when everything becomes a 50-50 split, including, so not just the work, but including the family and what's done at home. 
Now, it's interesting because I believe in your situation um, that your husband um, has been the home maker, the supporter of the family in terms of rearing the children. Is that the case? Yeah, so um, he took a lot of time off when the kids were, were little. Mm-hmm. Um, in our family, it is 50-50 and, you know, I, I thank Ruth for the, the stuff that she's done because, oh, my gosh, the world, you know, she is a way better place having had her in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so and that was um, – uh, you know, Ed took off with Henry, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, he took three months off part-time uh, when Henry was six months old and had a really good time. And then, um, you know, business doesn't work as perfectly planned. So mm-hmm. when um, E-Invest started its first ETF and 10 days later we had our second child, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sabrina, you know, he put his hand up and said, you know, I'll happily take it. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he, he's, he's fabulous. And, um, you know, I thank a lot, you know, I thank him a lot for the effort, you know, that we put in as a family mm-hmm. um, to, to work together. But obviously that's been a massive support to give you even the headspace as well to build what you're wanting to build for your family too. Absolutely. And there's a thing that, um, that I drive on about a lot and Camilla, and it's, um, a lot of men are not, um, they don't discriminate against women and yet a woman feels that they do because there's a thing called unconscious bias. Have you found that by unconscious bias they could be fantastic, you know, they could employ women but they've got locked into their brains just years of conditioning, you know, that a woman's place is this or a woman's role is that or women are these jobs. Have you come across in your experience, this thing called unconscious bias? Yeah, a lot, a lot. And I I guess the place I always start is actually with me. Mm -hmm. And so when I see myself having positive or negative unconscious bias, um, I actually have to check myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that if everyone started with themselves, Mm -hmm. I think that, that, you know, we could actually make, you know, a big big change. Um, You know, recently... for example, I was sitting in a board meeting and um, the the chair had actually attributed an idea of mine to a male board oh, member oh. and um, actually called it out. Mm. And, you know, they were like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And, you know... I think you have to have a really good relationship with your board to be able to do that Definitely. and to feel comfortable in yourself. But now I just, you know, I'm, I don't... I don't watch it go by um, these days. I, I call it out. I'm a little bit more vocal. And, and you know, I think that comes with, you know, maturity and, 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 and time in, the, you know, in life. Mm. Well, it was often the subject of many movies where a woman would say something and there'd be no response and then a bloke could pick up the same thing. What a great idea. But in those circumstances, women didn't call it out. But what you're saying, it's very important to bring awareness to that kind of thing. Mm. Mm. And I think, I mean, and I think, as I said, you know, starting with you calling your own bias out when you're positively or negatively discriminating. Yes, important. Um, so, what is one key thing about money that you think women really need to learn? 
Oh, there's a couple. Mm, um, I'm sure. So there's a couple of things that, you know, I you know, like to tell, you know, like to say, and, you know, a man is not a financial plan is like the first one. Mm. Um, and I think that that's critical. So always make sure that you're, you know, you're self-reliant. Um, the other one, uh, a very good and highly intelligent friend of mine said it was, it's shares, not shoes. Um, and whilst, you know, I, I'm, you know, I love my shoes, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that that's something to to think about but actually practically it's about budgeting and I think that that is a really critical skill that you don't get taught you you know you actually have to go and sit down and think about it and and manage that process um budgeting is is critical for stuff like you know credit card credit management and loan management and and you know as your you know investment portfolio is as your life gets more complex you know that coming back to that budget every year is is really really important to do i think it was george washington the first president of the united states who basically said which is a truism for a lot of people particularly when they're young is that budget budgeting is all about living within your means Exactly. And uh, I guess whether that's an individual or a company, it's a pretty good maxim to live by, by that first president. So things don't change. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing that I would say is um, that women really, really need to engage in their super Mm -hmm. and they need to do it really early. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and I'm sure you guys have touched on it with other other podcasts, Mm -hmm. but, you know, women are more likely to retire in poverty. Um, They, you know, retiring on 50%, um, you know, they're, their balances of, of their male counterpart. And to do that, um, it's, you know, you need to engage with it to make a change. And, you know, things like um, don't take the default option. Actually just think about, you know, what are your risks, what are your goals, and actively choosing not to have the default option and maybe choosing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, because women you know, we live longer. So therefore, you know, maybe it is, you know, the onus is on us to take a little bit more risk because of that fact. Um, Obviously, you know, take advice as part of that. But, um, you know, engaging with your super is is really, really important. Well, it's certainly something that we're stressing, um, you know, over already have a little we've touched on superannuation because we've only been around a relatively short time. But you're so right, Camilla, it's such an important thing. Sometimes people feel that because it's in the never-never, um, you know, that they don't worry about it, but the never-never comes around pretty quickly. Mm. Very much so. And you end up being 55 and going, oh, my God, I don't have enough. Oh, exactly. Uh-huh. And then you've got to really sacrifice a lot to catch up, mm. whereas... Yeah, and it's, and it's really hard talking to young women about that because mm. retirement feels so, so far mm. away. But you don't want to get to, you know, 55 and then go, oh, I'm going to retire in 10 years or, you know, 15 years' time, and you've got to claw it all back. It's, it's really, really um, difficult. So, you know, part of what I do with F3 is, you know, I talk up to young women about engaging with their super. Mm, so important because a word that keeps cropping up on these podcasts is that when you do it younger, you have the the um, the magic of compound interest, where your money is just rolling over, and interest is earning money on interest, even. But as you get closer to retirement, your years are just you know far less. Yeah. And then you've got age limits for when you have to you can you have to stop contributing to super. So it's very hard to catch up. Yeah, I think it was Benjamin Graham who said that it's the eight wonder of the world. Yeah. Um, yes. Compound interest, and yeah. I think that that is absolutely true. So mm-hmm. true. 
So let's get down to your portfolio. Um, Let's talk about the word diversity and let's take two forms of it. Tell us first about diversity of your portfolio or why it's important for anyone's portfolio to be diversified. Well, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's absolutely important. I mean, that's 101 of investing is that you, you really need to think about diversity, not only in companies and sector and in management, but in asset classes um, and, and the styles of investments that you're putting together, whether it's a, you know, as a, a growth style versus a value style or if, if it's... Um, if it's you know fixed income and cash and equities, it really needs to sort of you need to have the growth on the upside, but also limit the downside. So you don't want to you know blow your fingers up on one on on, on one choice, and that's why diversification is important. So even for yourself, someone who's a specialist in the area of um, of ETFs, you know, which embraces embraces the share market. Would you still suggest to yourself or to someone you were giving some, using inverted commas, advice to, because you've got to be careful there, that they have other things in their portfolio, a bit of property or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the the balanced portfolio, the 60-40 split that Mm -hmm. most people uh, talk about um, in between growth and assets and defensive assets, um, I think is really really important to think about and you know and property um you know for for example in my portfolio i you know i have a high growth portfolio because i have a high risk tolerance that is um that's something that i know about myself so recently i've been um sort of thinking about and doing some investing in the private markets um in in the startup scene which you know i'm only allocating a very small portion of my portfolio to that um and it's a really really long-term play but it is again. It is outside listed equities. Um, it 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 has the ability to lose a lot of money, and it also has the ability to you know be really positive on the upside. So that's sort of what I've been doing in my portfolio recently. And so in that small portion that you said, you're prepared to take on a bit more risk than you normally would because you think that the returns could be fantastic at some point down the track. That's right. Um, so, you know, I know that 60% of the uh, my investments in this space are going to go to zero. Mm. Um, there might be one investment in this space that might go to 10 times. There might be one afterpay. There mm. might be one mm. afterpay or, you know, one Canva yeah. or, you know, something like that. So, uh, you know, but you have to have a diverse portfolio mm. to be able to have that, uh, you know, that probability on the upside to come through if you know that the downside is 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 going to be meaningful. That's right. And the other word that you use, Camilla, is you've explained to us a little bit about your growth portfolio where you're wanting, you know, a bigger return, you're prepared to take a bit more risk. But then you mentioned the word defensive. Can you take us through what that means? Because a lot of people, these terms are really out of their orbit. Yeah, sure. So the defensive portfolio is a portfolio that has lower volatility. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, doesn't have the really big upsides and really big downsides. And 
asset classes that fit in that space are cash and fixed income. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually can, within those asset classes, can actually also, um, you know, have different risk spectrums. So it is well worth having a um, understanding of what is you know, what risks are involved. So, for example, um, in fixed income, you can take on leveraged loans, but they're much more like equity risk yeah. than they are actually more than the defensive piece. So you need to think about, you know, what the defensive bucket looks like and, again, have a diverse option within that um, defensive bucket. And could it be true to say that if you're younger with less responsibilities, um compared to someone who's older who's really only going to live off their investments, you could probably be more growth-oriented when you're younger and then perhaps when you're older because you're wanting security and you're wanting certain returns, you might be more defensive? Yeah, absolutely. So the closer you get to retirement, the more likely you have a a bigger defensive um, allocation in your portfolio. So, you know, when I talk to, you know, girls out there on F3 and investing and superannuation, and I talk about that, you know, don't choose the default option, maybe choose a higher growth option because we are living longer. Mm. Um, that's what we sort of talk about. So I, I absolutely agree with that. And so for, and you know, even in choice in that space, you know, the younger um, generation might actually choose to have a more of a, uh, a sustainability tilt mm. um, in their portfolio, because that's, you know, what we're seeing out of that younger generation. So say, for example, in, in one of our ETFs, um, the um, IMPQs, the code, uh, the E-Invest uh, Future Impact Small Caps Fund, the it's a, it's a small cap Australian equities fund, but the registry is more likely to be female and mm. more likely to be younger. That's interesting. Mm. So, and I, you know, I, I love that aspect mm. for that product because mm. it's, it's really bringing that next generation through mm. and understand, you know, getting them, allowing them to have the choice mm. on, you know, making a better future. Yeah. And would you say, Camilla, that it's a part of the reason why it's important for anyone, particularly young people, who a lot of whom are very ethically and sustainably oriented, to be aware of their super because what's what could happen if they're not aware? Could companies, could their super be invested in companies that are, running against what their philosophical beliefs might be absolutely and you and you see that every day mm. i mean you can just see the paper with rio for example yeah. i mean i you know i shake my head at that decision and what occurred there but you know if you took a more sustainable approach to that you wouldn't be invested in in companies such as that you want to be in in much more renewable allocations you want to be in you know maybe education and healthcare and um you know renewable energy and things like that and and you need to make that decision yourself because if you choose the default in your superannuation, mm-hmm. that decision's already going to be made for you. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so just circling back on the idea of diversity, and you touched on it earlier about how you were trying to address the issue of diversity within um, the finance industry, do you find it's getting easier within your own teams to maintain a sense of diversity? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's because it's, it's something close to myself. Um, so say, for example, when we started E-Invest, it was um, just Jody and I. And so the next, um, you know, person who was going to be employed was 
you know, going to be someone of a different sex. I think that that, but really in in reality, it becomes about choosing the the right person for the role um, and the most, you know, the one that fits the culture best. And and it doesn't matter, you know, which way it works because diversity comes in thinking and background and all that sort of stuff as well. So we, you know, I think about that a lot about when I put my teams together and that that even is, you know, in in my, you know, volunteer capacity, I think about that as, you know, putting my committees together and things like that. So it's it's important. Do you think it contributes to kind of the success of the overall team to have just diverse opinions, backgrounds, a lot? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, the creativity mm-hmm. in in the team is is higher. I think you get a higher performing team out of it. Um, and and as I said, diversity comes in way more than just gender. And and I think people need to think about that a lot more. It's not about you know we talked about unconscious bias before. It's not about hiring yourself. Mm-hmm. It's about hiring the best person for the role. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Swinging back a little bit as well is that I've met you on a number of occasions, Camilla, and today just listening to you, um, you know, you're obviously across what you do, you're impeccably groomed, you know, you're successful, you've got a great family with two kids and and your, and your husband there who obviously is a, a great support. A lot of women feel that, oh, there's just so much to do, you know, and there's family and there's work and there's me and you manage it. Give us some insight, realistic clues because tilly money is all about realism we don't want to set up people like yourself selves as role models that aren't real um how do you manage it all and still look good yeah uh time getting up early in the morning and making sure my hair's straight that's <laughs> yep. a really good start important, very important exactly um no but i i think that it, it starts in the family unit um and so when I knew that my career was very important to me early on, so my husband, we're actually just, we're just having our 15-year wedding anniversary this week. Yes. We've been together for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So when he met me, you know, we were both at university and I had that conversation with him really early, mm-hmm. right? I set expectations early. Um, it was always going to be 50-50 and and. I held him to that along through the process, no matter how hard it was for both of us because there were points in time where it is hard for both of us to make decisions um, because of that. Um, But sort of flipping forward, it's setting up the family to win and setting up everybody to win in it. So, you know, um, having that village around you for support, having great people at work that you can rely on 100%, mm. you know, having the cleaner and, you know, ready-made meals in the freezer and mm. a Rolodex of babysitters. Mm. Like, do anyone even use Rolodexes? <laughs> but Rolodex of babysitters at a time, you know, after school care, like just everybody, no matter what. So my kids win. Mm work's winning, my husband's winning, you know, the dogs are still getting out for a walk, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. um, is is really important. So 
And I'm not here to say that that works for everyone, right? Mm. So every family unit is 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 different, and each to their own. And I fully respect that. But if you wanna if you wanna have a if you wanna have a career and be successful at it, you do need to set those expectations early, mm. and you do need to set everybody up for success. Because mm. what I hear from what you're saying is there's an old line that says it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of um, a successful woman, it almost what you're saying is it takes a village to help a woman be successful as well. And men get support and why shouldn't women have their whole, whole network as well and give them credit to those people who do help them succeed. Absolutely. So, um, And just on a side to that, you do seem to also have this personal growth strategy with all this further education and upskilling that just, just doing my research into you, it just seems like a constant kind of stepping stone to the next path how do you plan ahead for that or what is it just what strikes you or so it's innate Mm -hmm. so uh, you know it is really so this this mindset of lifelong learning is really innate to me so um I love it whether it be um you know, for in a formal learning setting, whether it be traveling and learning about new cultures, um, whether it be, you know, learning about new people and, 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 you know, different, you know, meeting, building the network and all that sort of stuff. But it, it is, it is innate. So I am, I keep myself um, sharp because mm-hmm. of it. And I think that that's really important. So, you know, you know, we've got an intern at work and, you know, he's just embarked on his, um, his, his master's and I'm like, dude, don't stop, like mm-hmm. just consistently do it. So at the moment, you know, I mentioned about my investing journey. I'm actually delving a lot in that tech space just because I know that in 20 years time, you know, I know what we've done in the last 20 years, I think in 20 years time will be very much changed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, understanding about machine learning, understanding about AI, um, understanding what does that mean to financial services, that's sort of where I'm delving at the moment um, in this space to sort of self-educate myself. So, um, it, you know, it really spurs me on. We've got um, one last question, Camilla, and we put this to every woman. Uh And it might take you a second to think about it, but... If you had, you've given us so much advice this morning and you've exposed us to, you know, how you've been successful as well and and anyone listening to this podcast is going to be grateful for that. If you could give a bit of advice to Camilla Love, age 21, 22, 23, and we always say if she'd listen because we know that sometimes you don't always listen to the best of advice even if you give it to yourself. But if she'd listen, what's something that you would look back and say, now, Camilla... This is what you must do or you mustn't do. Um, I guess there's, a, there's probably a couple of things, but I definitely say back myself, and I, I guess everybody on your podcast has probably said that, mm. um, but being more assertive. Mm. And I think that um, women sort of shy away from being, uh, you know, assertive um, because, you know, it might not fit the, the mould where... I think if I had been a little bit more assertive, not only with myself, um, but with the surroundings around me, um, you know, who who knows what have would have come from that? Mm. Um, you know, asking the next question, you know, whether that be, can I have a pay rise, or whether it be, can I have a coffee so that I can understand what you do, or whether it be, um, you know, tell me, 
you know, I'd like to meet someone with a job role that looks like X. Do Mm. you know someone who does that? Mm. Asking that next question, whatever that next question is, you know, having that curiosity I I think is, is, is really important and that would be, you know, I, that I think I would told myself um, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, fantastic. Just to close up the episode this week, we've actually got a lightning ah, yes. round of questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to ask you a few really quick things just to wrap up and just the first thing that comes in your head, okay? Yeah. yeah. So I won't rest until? I leave the world in a better place. Financial freedom is? Having holidays when and where you want. Investing is? Not as hard as you think. The future holds. Uh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> What's most important is? Love, respect, curiosity and truth. The world needs? More people who push the boundaries, challenge the status quo and, you know, will stake their reputation on it because I think the future um, is going to be full of those people to, that are, you know, doing that today. Love it. Well, you are the first person that Claire has put those lightning round questions to. Brilliant answers. Maybe well the done. best. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for Maybe coming. It's a big bar. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. You mm. said it high. Thanks, Thanks Camilla, Camilla, for coming. No problem. Thanks, guys. Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan and Claire Osman. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.